Welcome to Ring Central Conferencing. Please access code accepted. There are four other participants in this conference. Please announce yourself. Hey guys, great day. Mike here. We got anybody on the call? Linda. Linda. Yes, hi, Vanessa. Linda, Vanessa, great day. How you guys doing? Everybody good? Yes, excited oh, yes. for the call. Good, good. Yes, sir. No. It's a great day to make it a great day. Make it a great day. So, guys, do me a favor. When I get started, and I'm going to probably repeat this a couple of times, I did a test on my system today for muting, and it may or may not work. So please do me a favor and mute your phones as you're go doing whatever you're doing there. That would be greatly appreciated. And if you're coming online, just please check in. Uh, we'll start here in about uh, one minute or so. In the meantime, if you're coming on, um, let us know where you're calling from. Who's down here from South Florida? Say yes. 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 Okay, yes. great. So we've got a few people down here. Okay, great, great. Well, this is going to be an exciting call today, guys, and we're going to get started here in a, in a couple of seconds. Israel is uh, funny. He's in a class this week, which is to renew his appraisal license. So he's uh, going to be coming out of that. And uh, he'll be here about 12.05. He gets breaks at 12 o'clock, so he's going to run out to his uh, car and uh, take a few minutes during his lunch break to be with us today. So um, if you're coming on, please just let us know where you're coming from or who, who is calling in, and just introduce yourself real quick, name and where you're calling from. Um, uh, this is Lourdes. I'm calling from Miami. Hey, Lourdes from Miami. Great day. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for being here. Oscar Manis. Oscar, great day. Thanks for being here, Oscar. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. So guys, Richard, Richard, welcome. Thanks for stopping in, Richard. So guys, as I said a second ago, if you weren't on the call, I'm going to probably repeat this just a couple of more times. Just please do whatever you can to mute your phones on your on your cell phones or wherever you're calling from. That way we can block out any back noise. And um, the other thing is, too, if you have any questions for Israel, I'm going to go through some questions. We're just going to have a real uh, powerful discussion today. It's, it's going to be uh, simplified, but at the same time uh, pretty important. And uh, if, you, if you have anything that's coming to your mind, maybe an experience that you're having with an, with an appraisal or a CMA that you're doing on a property um, that we may not cover uh, we'll open this up at the end. We're going to probably be about 30 minutes. Uh, sometimes I take longer on these, but I'm going to definitely be wrapping up because I know he needs to get back to lunch because he's in his training class and his uh, recertification. So I'm going to respect his time and yours as well. So if you have anything, please uh, you know, bring it on. Bring it on, bring it on. Okay. So guys, as you know, um, as we start here, appreciate your being here today and I'm sure you've heard it come to your mind and you've heard this experience, and if not, it'll probably come up sometime in your career, and that is how much is my house worth and will it appraise out? And these are questions, again, guys, that you're going to be either hearing or you might be saying to yourself or asking of other people. So um, keeping that in mind, 
Um, we're going to get these questions as they come along in our career without question. And we want to make sure that we're fully prepared for them to the very best of our ability. So how much is our my house worth? Will it appraise out? Um, are people thinking that they should sell their house for cash because they need more money than what you're recommending as a sales price? And having an appraisal, i.e. getting a bank financing, will create that appraisal and thus um, they, they have to come in. So they, they're probably figuring, well, I need to get as much money as I can out of here, so I've got to go for cash. Um, how can I get good at doing a CMA? And that's from our perspective. And that's, a, that's an art, guys, that we all have to work on over and over again, especially as markets change and, and more especially in, and should I say more importantly, if you're working in diverse markets, like there's some people that work in specific pockets, wherever you are in the country and you know that area, like the back of your hand and you know the numbers because you've done a ton of deals there or you may even quote unquote farm those neighborhoods and you know exactly what's going on. However, if you have to step out of those boundaries, all of a sudden we freak out and we come across situations. That might happen as well with pricing, uh, where, uh, in terms of higher price properties versus your average. So if you're selling half million dollar properties, <clears throat> whether they're single family or condos, somebody calls you up or you find a lead or whatever the case is and it's a million dollar property or a hundred thousand dollar property you have to be ready for some of those things that might occur there um, should you hire an appraiser you know a lot of times uh, you might have to hire an appraiser to get a great idea about a property you're dealing with a seller they want to work with you you want to work with them you guys are in, in flux about what this price really should be in order to get the very very best and we may want to make that recommendation to them to let's get an appraisal they pay for it not you <clears throat> and they and we hire a professional appraiser to come in when is that important to do that if necessary and uh, and how do we do that um, or even better uh, Mike, we hear uh, Mike I'm on the call great Just, thanks uh, Israel no 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 problem no problem so another question might come up is another agent that you're sitting in a presentation says to you, oh, well, the uh, client, excuse me, you're sitting with the presentation, they say, well, another agent said they can get more money. And we have to come back. There's ways I'm not going to get into all that detail today. But we have to have the ability to to be presenting to them a way that gets a clear understanding of what did that agent say that caused that price to be much bigger than what we came to the table with. Because, guys, fundamentally, the numbers that we present to those sellers, the numbers that we present to those sellers are accessible by everybody. There's no real change in what those numbers should look like unless there's something that came up that moment or a few minutes before our presentation that I couldn't control. And that happens from time to time. A closing just went into the MLS system, and all of a sudden it's a much higher price, and you didn't get it, and that's okay. It happens. But very typically, why do agents have these differentiating prices? And, guys, a lot of times it's wrapped around. They are buying what I like to call buying their listings. They're buying the they're buying the the client they're paying for that by saying oh i can get you a much higher price than what everybody else is saying and the seller buys that because what do they want they want more money 
obviously, right? And so they buy their listings, they buy it by cutting commissions, and those two factors could cause a, cause a flux in your whole presentation because what's going on? Why is this person telling me this number, and why, is, uh, why are you telling me another number, and I don't quite get it? So, guys, we have to have this ability and we have to work on it. It's not going to happen in a 30-minute group call today, but I'm going to give you the fundamentals, the nuts and bolts from a great guy who's very excellent, who's got 30 years of experience in this business. Granted, he's down here in South Florida, but Israel works all over the markets. His, his primary guy today, he's in the real estate business. That's all he does 100%. He does some work for clients, high-end clients that he might do some special appraisals for or companies. He's got some alliances with some, some great people that uh, need his help from time to time to do evaluations on specific high-end product that they're working on. They need his information. And when people go to him for that versus somebody else, that speaks volumes about what he's going to share with you today in our dialogue today. And um, and it's very, very important that we put our head around this because, guys, as I noted in my emails, the biggest conf- one of the biggest confidence killers, it's not the only thing, but one of the biggest confidence killers in our business is when somebody says, how much is my home worth? Or you have to prepare a CMA and you're going crazy because you don't know what to do or how to do it. Or you get, or you might have that information, but yet you can't come to a clear idea what this property is worth, and that is a killer because when you when the rubber meets the road, with all the fancy scripts and presentations that we do, with the body language and personality styles that we teach, and all of those factors, although they're all incredibly important, this one thing. If you flinch at that presentation when that question comes up, if you shudder at all during the presentation of the CMA, that could be a deal killer. You may not get it from them directly, and they may hear you, but they're going to say, we want to think about it, and we want to talk to other people, and we appreciate it, or the objection might come up. Somebody said that they can give me a higher price. Why is your name? And all of a sudden, we have to go into a different uh, – we have to project ourselves in a different way when we're presenting. So I want you guys to understand, again, this is not just the end all today, that you must work on this. Become market experts. Become the expert in your area. Most ideally, if you're working in a specific area, wherever you are in the country, that's if you're listening to this call, but make sure that you are profoundly uh, knowledgeable about this area. And you can go out there and preview homes. You can go to the multiple listing services. There's a program called RPR. We have different tax uh, programs down here in South Florida, Realist and IMAP. And wherever you are, figure it out. Study core logic. Go <clears throat> study statistics in your area. Don't go in just with global numbers because that's not about their specific house or their subdivision or neighborhoods or zip codes. So we want to understand what's going on. So the more you're out there touching on all the technology that you have access access today to, guys, is very, very powerful. We didn't have that back in the day. We had to go out there and most everything we did to learn the markets was strictly by previewing homes. If you had previewing homes in addition to your market research that you have access to today between Zillow and all of these other uh, facilities out there, even though it's not you know perfect information, at least it gives us a foundation to work from, but you have to become knowledgeable in this area. So that being said, um, we've got Israel on the phone. Israel, are you still with me? 
I'm there. I'm here. Yes, sir. Okay, great, great. Thank you. I know that you're in a class uh, renewing the licensing for your appraisal course and uh, your appraisal studies and whatnot, and we appreciate that. So I don't want to get into um, too much uh, hype today, but I want to make sure that, um, Israel, give us real quick, uh, uh, just a quick bullet. Um, I mentioned it. You've been in the business for over 30 years, correct, in the real estate and appraisal business, right? Correct. I, I I I got I've been in the, the appraisal business since 1989, and I became a real estate broker in 1992. So going on going on 30 years in the business. Wow, good I'm, for I'm you. Full-time. Good for you. Good yeah. for you. So I'm so a, I'm, real... a state, I'm a state I'm a state certified general appraiser. Means uh, I do both. Uh, I'm I'm certified to do both commercial and residential appraisals. Okay, great. Great. So that brings a tremendous value to both areas as far as communication with clients, right? Having that ability to do Correct. both commercial and res. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. Great. And, and and you know a lot of what you have done over your career. Um, I did, I'm going to open end this question. That, you know, I'm not looking for perfection here, but ideally, what do you see um, in the world of appraisal and market analysis or statistics, maybe as it relates to today? And uh, what, what does that look like to you from the appraisal perspective? What are you seeing out there um, that would be a value for people to kind of get their head wrapped around um, the challenge of appraisal and market analysis today? What do you think that might be? Well, you, you said it a couple minutes ago, uh, the importance of being, uh, being a market expert. Uh, you know, appraisers are, are supposed to be market experts, uh, but as an appraiser, you're working – you're typically working many markets. So although you may work one market a little more specific than others, you're appraising in different areas. Uh, so I think a lot of times realtors, if they are true market experts, they tend to have better knowledge of what's happening at that moment in that market. In fact, many a times I, when I would be appraising in certain markets, I would look for those experts, those real estate experts, and, uh, and call them and get, get their get their uh, get their input into my into the job that I was appraising at that moment because I feel that those were the true experts. And I think a lot of times, especially realtors who, or agents who haven't been in the business quite as long, uh, tend to think that we are the end all. And, and if it's true, our appraisal will determine if that deal is going to close or not. But I think um, we, have, we, we have some ability – to, to have a hand in that in that decision with the with the appraiser, a lot of agents look in. Uh, they're only, you know, they're only um, they're only they're only involvement with the appraisers to basically open the door for them to come in and measure the house, do their walkthrough, and say goodbye to them as they walk out. And uh, I think if more uh, more uh, agents would interact with the appraiser, come prepared to that inspection. Um, and, and provide them with the comparables. If you're listing a home and you came up with a valuation to come up with, a, with an asking price for that property and you got a contract, you got it under contract somewhat within that, that price, uh, you know, those are, the, those are probably the best comparables. You actually, it was marketed and sold near that price. So those are the best comparables. You should come prepare with a file for that appraiser uh, and give them those comparables and explain to them, if, you, if they take a couple of minutes, why these are the best comparables. And when I, had, when I would appraise and I would come to do a property from a, and a realtor that I know is strong in that market and uh, 
and they would provide me with that. I would put a lot of stock in, in those comparables. I may go and look at some other ones, but I'm going to put stock into what they provided me because I feel that, those, that that agent is probably better suited to value that property, at least to an extent, than I am because they're, they're studying that market every day. So I would say the important thing there is to, be, is to go in there confident and prepared, and I think it would help a long way with that relationship at that moment with that appraiser to help get your deal closed. That's, that's my opinion. We're looking at it from, um, from both sides. And when you're and related to the to the time that you're trying to get that listing when you're preparing the CMA, again it goes back to being a market expert. Don't just pull up a bunch of sales in the market and look at a price per square foot and put that out there and say, well, the average is X amount of dollars per foot. Your house is X Y Z square feet, so your house is worth this. You should be you should be comparable specific. Try to find four, five, three, four, five, six of the com best comparables in the market. And what I mean by best would be comparables that are most similar to your subject property, to your listing, in terms of size, in terms of age, in ter terms of condition, and overall amenities. And, uh, and try to find and put those comparables into your CMA, okay? Because once you present that to your, uh, to your client, they're going to understand. Because clients, you know, your clients are smart, if not smarter, than, than you are. They know their market. They're studying their market. So when you bring the right sales, they're going to know that they're going to have seen those sales on Zillow or they've driven by or they've gone in to an open house. So if they feel that you know the market as well as they, as they do, then they're going to be more confident to accept your value and be more willing to list the property with you. So I think it's very important to have those, uh, to be able to, to be that market expert, to understand your market, study the statistics, study the the right comparables for, for your property, and, uh, and I think you'll have, a, you'll have much more success on your presentations as well as making sure your property appraises at, at your sale price once you're at the point of, uh, of, of the appraisal process. Okay. Uh, great, great response. So let me, I'm going to bounce off something that you said. So you said size, age, condition. I wrote down one word here, and we often hear this, guys, and if it's not true, I'm you're not talking to people, okay? But at the end of the day, we hear, well, I did all of these upgrades to my house compared to other people. Israel, is there any basis for, um, in response to a customer who's done upgrades? You know, they have the fancy uh, uh, kitchens. You know, they have the extraordinary, you know, uh, sub-zero refrigerators and wolf stoves and all of this fancy stuff. Is that... Uh, how much value does that bring to a to an appraisal? Because we hear that often. I mean, I you know somebody says, well, we did all of these things to our house, and those people down the street they never did anything, or their their upgrades are not like ours. What is your gut on that as far, and what value do you bring to the table as an appraiser on that uh, process? There, please. Well, uh, you know, uh, owners of you know uh, sellers are very proud of their property. Uh, they're going to, when they do upgrades, some of the upgrades may be trivial or not have, tend to have a lot of value. Others tend to be more valuable. I always, I always think that you should compliment them on what they've done and what a good job they've done with the house and their upgrades. You can never, you can never be negative to them about the situation because then your whole presentation will turn negative. Having said that, it really depends on the situation. It, it all depends on 
on the specific market that you're that you're that you're working on at that moment. If you're in a market where the average home price is two hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and someone comes in and spends seventy five thousand redoing a kitchen with sub zero and wolf appliances and, and granite all the top line marble finishes, you know, the the market will recognize that to an extent. But it could be that you over improved the property. Mm. So you have to see what, the, what that market is willing to bear at the top end. If you over-improve, nobody wants to, no buyer wants to, or no lender wants to appraise, or a buyer wants to buy the most expensive house in the neighborhood. Okay? And, and so you have to be cognizant of that and be able, to, be able to quantify that somewhat and be able to give them some value and tell them that there's value there but it has to fall within the lines of what the market is showing you, what the comparables are showing you. Uh, the market I work in is, is um, it's mainly Coral Gables here in Florida, and it's a high-end market. So depending on the property, some of the properties, uh, if they are turnkey and they have high-end finishes because you have a lot of executives and, and foreign national buyers buying, they like to move into something that's turnkey and high-end, if there's nothing that needs to be done to the house, there could be a premium paid for that to have that level of finish, and it's, the market will accept that, and they, and they prefer that. But it, it, like I said, it goes back into what market you're working on. Each market is different, and what will teach you that is to really understand your market. As Mike said, look at your comparables, study the statistics, go, look at the, uh, at the, go to open houses when they're available, and see what, what's happening in your market. And if you're noticing that the finishes on your house are equal to or superior than another comparable that has sold, then you should be able to make them aware of, of specifics on why maybe it's not worth X amount of dollars more because of those finishes. So that, um, that's going to be on an individual, um, on, an indiv on a case-by-case. -case. But I, I could say that typically the owners, uh, sellers of properties are going to be uh, are going to be very proud of what they've done, and they they think it's worth a lot of money to you know because they spent the money. And a lot of times they'll do finishes that are not it's what they like, or maybe it was from ten years ago. It's not today's trends or today's standards, and mm -hmm. it's hard to tell a buyer that they spent a lot of money doing something that the market doesn't really uh, uh, you know is not looking at today, or or it's a different it's a different finish that they're looking at. So it's, it's, you know, you're walking a fine line there of not insulting your client, but making it a, of aware of what's happening. And I think any client, any seller would be, uh, even though they may not be happy with your response, at least they'll be glad that you told them uh, that you're telling them something that you believe to be is true. And eventually, if it is true, it will come out because the property will not sell at that higher price. And, and then they'll understand that what you told them was the reality. Uh, and, and, and they'll be appreciative at that point for that. And that happened to you in uh, Journey's End, one of the areas you were working in, remember? That property for, I think it was like $8 million, and then you, they held off and they listed right. it with somebody, and they came back down to yeah. reality eventually, right? Something on that example, which is something yeah. that I think, if I can recall, that house wasn't fully updated, right? But it was a nice house in a nice well, neighborhood, right? Or is that... Not, nice very nice house. It's a nice house, nice neighborhood, built in 1990. So the finishes are 30 years old. Very high-end finishes, 
very well maintained, but a home that has different levels. Now everybody tries to find homes that are all the floors are, are at least in our market, that are on one level. They don't like the sunken living room and the raised dining room. And this house has many different levels, and, it's a, and it, it was an older home. So I came in. I had my appraiser hat on. I appraised the property for them for the listing of the house. I gave them a value of $6.1 million. Uh, and they decided to go with another agent, and they listed it for $8 million. And then basically seven months later, dropped it to 6.9, <laughs> And now they've dropped it to 6.4, which is right where they should be, because if it's worth 6.1, you know, at that level, there has to be a little room to, to, to negotiate. So right. I think now they, they're, they're finally priced right. But they, they basically lost a year. They moved out of the house. Uh, they emptied out the house of all their furniture. They had it repainted. They spent money fixing certain things up. They bought another property, so they're carrying two mortgages and two expenses. They could have, they could have gotten that taken care of. Uh, they could have sold this, you know, almost eight months or nine months ago, and not had to carry all that expense if they would have listened to me at that point. But uh, but now they've they've come back to reality. But the reality is that that, that the, although the property you walk into it's very nice. And I could appreciate the level. That market, that eight to ten, eight million dollar buyer, seven million dollar buyer, is looking for something different in that particular market, and okay. uh, and that's why there it, it wasn't it wasn't reflected in the offers that they got. Okay, so I want I want to complete on one thought because I want to fill my gap here, and I hope some people might be thinking the same thing. Let's take away, guys, just for a quick minute, the low end because the low end property price points are your more uh, average numbers and over overdoing a property if i heard israel correctly could be you know they did it for their own desires you know they over improved this property especially in the but and as you get into the higher price points israel um to fill my hole here is if i have that property that was nice it was a great property and built in the 90s it was had the upgrades for the 90s but we're not we're now in 2018 and there's a house next door and i just want to clear the air here there's a house next door or within that same subdivision that has all the nice upgrades let's say it's similar size similar age all of the other factors and so on um Will that will those upgrades diminish the value in a certain way? The '90s house that has no upgrades, but it's well done, mind you. But will those upgrades, the you know very expensive stuff, will that bring value to the to the more expensive home, if you will? Does that make sense? That yeah, question. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Okay. Yes. So we uh, could use it at it, that it, point. It, the upgrades. Right. The, the upgrades at that point would be, and it's, the upgrade is not just a new appliance and a new fixture and a new and, and different paint. It's, it's putting the, the trend of today. Uh, this home specifically had a lot, which everybody, all the homes before were built this way. You had a formal kitchen, a closed off, um, I mean, a formal dining room, a formal living, a family room, a closed off kitchen. Mm. And, and, and the trends in South Florida today are open spaces. Mm. So basically, uh, the, yeah. the newer home, the homes that was built in 1989, but has been has been renovated inside and has been rehabbed to the point where it meets today's standards, where they opened up the spaces and uh, and they took away the different levels. That that alone, it's not only the high end finishes that they're putting in, but it's it's the trends that the, the, the new clients, the clients of today are looking for, which is uh, which again are more open spaces and one, one, one story could be multiple stories, but at least have 
one level of flooring. Um, and and that's, that's very important. So that's a big investment on some of these homes. So you, you'll have to put a big investment in to get it out, but the market will recognize it and will pay it at a discount from, let's say, a brand-new home, but they'll definitely pay a premium compared to the, the property I was involved in that, that was basically still – uh, the same as it w- when it was built in 1989. Mm, wow, that that is, guys. I, I I just put aha next to my name over here and on my piece of paper because that's a that's a huge distinction. It doesn't seem apparent, but uh, when you think in the scheme of all of this stuff here, but that's huge. You know what's going on in the market today? What are people wanting to buy, right, Israel? And what are they looking at? And what's and what are what are they wanting? As you said, today's trends and. And that is going to be a distinction in, in making and uh, creating value. What, Israel, what about what about Correct. pools? Let's say yeah. I have you know comps and I got a pool and I got one with my house has a pool. The comps don't have pools, or my house doesn't have a pool, but other comps do. Um, what value do we bring or take away from that? And keep in mind too the same thing. Maybe uh, let's say waterfront. I'm not going to get into oceanfront because that's a different discussion. But um, although you can talk about it. Um, but I'm talking about, you know, things that, uh, you know, I'm waterfront with access to the, uh, you know, to the, to the intercoastal versus access to the ocean, or I have a pool, somebody else doesn't have a pool. How much value does that bring to the equation here? And if I have no comps, let me say it that way, if I have no comps on water or with a pool, um, what do I do? How do I say that? How do I price that? Well, 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 water is, uh, water is, uh, at least here in South Florida, obviously, if you're uh, intercoastal front or canal front that leads out to the ocean, that's its market in and of itself, typically. And people are going, and your typical buyer is going to pay for a, a, a big premium for that. Uh, two homes across the street from each other, one that's dry and one that's waterfront, will bring a much higher price point. So typically, the buyer that's looking for the waterfront property is only looking at waterfront. If you do not have comparables uh, or anything that has sold recently uh, in that market, uh, and if you're an agent that's trying to value a property for a CMA, you really are going to have to find a comparable, another comparable market that has similar, similar amenities where you can see where you have similar values in terms of, uh, of land, especially land value. Look at if you can find land sales to see where waterfront properties are selling for in a different market that would be comparable or home of sale prices that are, that are comparable and then take comparables out of that market and try to analyze them that way if you have no sales. The other solution is to go back in time and see where, uh, where comparables were. Uh, let's say there were sales of waterfront properties two years ago. What happened two years ago may not be reflective of the current market, but if you take a look at, at a two-year-old waterfront sale and a two-year-old non-waterfront sale, you can see what the difference in, in, in two similar, similar homes, what the difference on the price point is, then you're coming up with what the adjustment is for the difference between water and not water. And you can extrapolate that to today's uh, valuation because even though the values might not be the same, probably the percentage of difference hasn't changed too much. So now you can, you can apply that differential to a, comp- to a dry lot sale and say the adjustment should be X amount of dollars on a percentage basis based on the two-year-old sales that you find. And that may sound, all that may sound a little bit complicated, um, 
you know, uh, at that point, what I, you know, what I would suggest too is um, if you if you are trying to price a property like that, is to talk to an appraiser that, that knows that market right. and have them give you some idea on how to how to come up with uh, with that number. Or listen, do not be afraid to to talk to another agent uh, that that that's really a, another expert in that market and get a little feedback from them on what they've seen, what, what they've experienced, and what they think the value of that property is. Other agents that are, that are true experts, they're really not your competition. I mean, they are your competition, but you can really, they're really a good source of information. And they're all, usually the good ones are, are willing to help and talk to you and give you some ideas on, uh, on where those numbers should be. Uh, as related to a pool, uh, a pool should be a little simpler. Um, you know, if you have a pool in your comp- and uh, or in a compare and you're not finding comparables with pools, uh, you you can do kind of the same thing. Look outside the area a little bit, maybe not your immediate market, but try to find another uh, similar price point properties and see what the difference between a home that sold with a pool and one that didn't. And that's your what they call the extracted adjustment for that amenity, which would be the pool. Or do the same thing. Go back in time. Go back a year, two years and find two homes that were similar and see what that difference is between the two homes with the pool and the one without the pool, and you can kind of get an idea. The pool adjustment, as, a, as an appraiser, typically I know each neighborhood, what a pool would be worth, and, uh, and I don't always have to extract it. I know that in the market I work in, a pool is probably worth about $30,000. It may be thirty-five, maybe twenty-five, depending on my adjustments when I'm appraising the property. Um, but but that's an easier one to come up with. Um, so those are really okay. the best ways to go about trying to find a, ba- a value for a, for any amenity that you have a two car garage compared to a three, or um, you know or a fireplace against no fireplace. So it's uh, it's just doing a little bit of research and, uh, and 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 understanding you know what the sailor could have the, the amenity and one that does not, and if there's a difference between them. And so, Israel, I want to put a pool in my house. How much value will that add to my house? If I, let's say I want to sell it in, let's say, you know, three or four or five, six months from now, whatever. Um, will that, is it worth it for the client to put a pool in or just leave it like it is and just sell it at market as it is now? Or are they going to get more money as a result? In other words, I put in 30 for the pool. Am I going to get 50 out of it as a result? Or am I just going to get what? What's going to happen there? What do you think about that? Okay. 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 So here, here's uh, I, that's probably the question I've gotten most as an appraiser over my over my 30 years. That yep. is the question I get most from from family, friends. That question, and I always answer it. I always answer it the same way. Why are you building the pool? I ask the question, and they tell me we want to utilize it for the kids so they can have some place to play on the weekends or during the summer. So I go, if you're going to utilize, the, if you're building the pool for your use and enjoyment. Go ahead and build the pool, and don't worry about the value it's going to bring on on the on the back end. Enjoy mm-hmm. the pool, and just go ahead and build it. That's that's always been my advice to somebody because they're gonna they want to know exactly that they're going to spend X amount of dollars. They're they're going to get that that dollar back, uh, and it it really all depends on the market. There are right. markets where by adding a pool, it's a detriment because they don't take care of them properly, and they may become a you know, a hotbed for mosquitoes. So they may have a negative valuation to a pool. And I've seen that in my years. That's not typical, but that does happen in a neighborhood that's, that's maybe, uh, you know, deteriorating somewhat. Um, normally, 
the more expensive the neighborhood, the more expensive the pool you're going to put in, and your return will not be dollar for dollar. So if you, are, if you come in when you finish with a pool and you do your LED lighting and the heater and all those different amenities, your, your pool may cost you $35,000, $40,000. Your return when you sell the house, you're, it's going to be hard to quantify, but it may be twenty twenty-five thousand 25000 in return. But if you spend five years of enjoyment for your kids where they weren't driving you crazy at home, they're in the pool and they're having a good time, then it was worth that. It was worth that investment. It's worth a million dollars. Kind of the way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's, that's kind of, that is the way I see it. So really, but the answer is every neighborhood is different. And what's your cost uh, that you're going to spend? It's going to be fixed. It'll be, you can build whatever pool you want at the price. The return will depend on, on your neighborhood. You will get returns. Usually it's not dollar for dollar when you sell the property. Gotcha. Because remember, when, when values go up, in a property, what increases is not the property. It's not the building. It's the land. So whenever you have an appreciation of value, just keep in mind that is the land that's appreciating, not the building. The building only depreciates. The pool depreciates. Five years down the road, the pool is not new anymore. It's older. So it's going right. to be worth less, as, as is your house and, and, and the entire structure. What goes up in value is the land. So, so I've heard appraisal, appraising properties is more of a of an opinion versus a science. Is that accurate? A hundred percent. There okay. is not a science. Yeah. So, it is, so it, is an, it is an opinion of value, and each and it all it's a, it, it all depends on how each appraiser analyzes things and how they look at things. So. Yeah. So, so part of that, I think, guys, my takeaway on that piece is on the. If you're going to put a pool in or somebody says, I got a pool and I should get more money for my house, the question is, did you guys enjoy the pool? Did you put it in for your own personal benefit to help keep the kids at bay? Well, yes, we did. Great. Because if somebody comes in and they're older people are never going to use a pool, there's no perceived value in that. Is that fair to say uh, with that, Israel, to some degree? No. It's, not only is it no perceived value, it may be, an, it may be a detriment and they don't right. want to buy that home. Because yep. they don't want to maintain, they don't want to have the monthly maintenance of a of a pool. So it it, it doesn't always um, it doesn't work for for every buyer. Typically in a neighborhood, if you have a you know you think of the typical buyers being you know a, a family in, in a in a neighborhood that's you know middle class neighborhood that's that's coming up. Uh, you know, family they want the pool because they're going to have kids and they're going to grow into it. But it really it really depends. A lot of some of the, like my neighborhood that I work in, uh, you have a lot of people that are downsizing to 3,000 square feet from the 7,000 square foot home that's worth a lot more money. So they may, they may want the bigger home and the bigger land, but they may not want the pool. So it, it, really, it really all depends. It all depends, gotcha. and it's, that's why it's specific to each, uh, to each client on that. Okay. Exactly. All right, so just a couple more questions, then we're going to uh, open it up just real quick. Israel, I know you got to go probably eat something. I'm sure you're taking your break there. But, guys, uh, what I want to uh, no just ask a couple of quick bullet questions here, Israel. Um, when I'm looking at my properties, when you take a look at comps, uh, obviously we want to have size, square footage, and location, all that stuff important. How far out and how far back? Let's say, um, am I looking at closed sales in the last three months, six months, one year? Should I go uh, within the subdivision, outside the subdivision, if I need to? Or what's the furthest I could go, like a mile, half mile? Where would you start and then work your way out? 
And guys, if you're on the phone, please okay. mute your calls, please. Please mute your phones. I appreciate that. Thank you. Go ahead, Israel. Appreciate that. Okay. Within the, uh, if you look back at time, obviously the more recent the sale, the more they are reflective of current value. So you mm -hmm. should try to stay within a certain price point. I would rather go back, if I'd rather go back a little bit in time, then go out to a different neighborhood altogether because the, I, I'd rather stay specific to my, to my immediate market. So if you're, if you're looking at this for appraisal purposes as a lender, uh, they don't like to go – if you go back further than six months, you have to give an explanation, and sometimes they don't like it. But if you're in a market that's relatively flat and values have really been pretty stable for the last year, year and a half, then you're not going to see much of a difference. So going back a year is not going to make um, – make too much of a difference. If you're in a fluctuating market, up or down, then maybe going past three months may, may have, a, have a completely different uh, valuation. So you have to see what's happening in your market at that time. Regarding distance, um, you know, if you're, if you're doing a property in a rural area where everything is on multiple acre lots, that, that mile out or half mile could be a, only a few homes away. Right. So it really depends on your market. Uh, again, typically neighborhoods are characterized by, by certain boundaries. Uh, it could be a major intersection. It could be a canal. It could be a lake that separates a market. So you, you as the expert have to look at your market as a whole and determine what are the boundaries of your market, and you want to try to stick within that market area. Uh, so it's not a certain distance. Or, you know, or anything specific, it's usually uh, more, it is specific, but it's usually marked by certain boundaries. A busy street, a, a waterway where the properties are, are different values on a different side, you know, they're different. So you want to try to stick within your market. And if you have to go outside that market, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go to the, the outside the market boundaries right across the way because that neighborhood may not be the same as your neighborhood in terms of of age of the homes, lot sizes, mm. uh, condition of the homes, amenities of that of that of that neighborhood. You may have to go. You may have to go over a mile away, or over a, a bigger distance away, to find a comparable market that has similar price points and similar type properties as yours. And gotcha. uh, and that would be more. That would be a better indicator than just the house that's right outside your your. Uh, and, and that's okay to use that data when coming with the CMA. Am I hearing that correctly? Yes. Okay, great. It is. So guys, it is. You, if you expect, just explain it. Just be specific to your client. Explain that to your client, yeah. why you utilize that, that neighborhood. So they, they can understand. At the end of the day, you're trying to make your client understand where you're coming up with your value. And they have to feel comfortable with what you came up with. So you have to be clear in, in explaining so they understand what uh, you know, they they understand where you're coming from. Bottom line. Yep, the reasoning behind that. So, guys, that's that's huge. I mean, that I mean, the three or four things was huge today, and that one thing right there, because you can go outside, especially parts of South Florida here, if you work down here, and I'm sure you experience this in all parts of the country. You have some nice neighborhoods. Um, like here, we have an area called Pinecrest, and we have the Falls, then we have Palmetto Bay, and then you go further east or west. And you have some older areas, but a lot of some of the homes in, in parts of Pinecrest are still, you know, they were built in the 50s or 60s, and they're still maintaining. They're nice homes. They're very well built and things like that, but they're not updated. But you might have to go outside to, to bring it in. So that's a, that's a very important distinction. 
So, yep, yep. Yeah, making uh, talking about Pinecrest. You know, Pinecrest has three or four different sections within that right. within that township within that city, and you really have to understand when you go west of a certain avenue, the values decrease somewhat. When you stay north of a, of a certain, the values are a little higher. So the only way you understand that well is is by just knowing your market and 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 being a market expert and understanding those markets. And by the way. Uh, Typically, an appraiser that would come out to do that is going to analyze that in that way also. So you, it has to be, make sense to everybody. Because even if you find a buyer that doesn't understand the market and you convince them to buy something and pay a price, if the if that value isn't really founded on on, on reality on what the market is doing, you're going to have an appraiser that's going to come in and and and, and value it differently, and your deal is probably going to be dead at that point unless they were a cash buyer. Um, and so it's really hard, you know, important to understand what Mike okay. just said, how Pinecrest, you know, each market. Okay, great. Israel, a couple of last questions here, and then if, I'm, if anybody has any questions, we're going to button this up here. But I want to ask you, um, as I mentioned, you know, and you've talked about it, is market, becoming a market expert. Um, what do you suggest people do? Obviously, we have the multiple listing services. We have RPR. Um, Realist, we have IMAP. Uh, what is your go-to source, or what, what, what could we simply recommend to everybody who's on the call today? And think of globally, too, because a lot of people don't have access to some of the things we have here, but fundamentals. What do you suggest that they do to become really market, good market experts? What do you think? What, what, I, what I do now, as a, uh, when I have my, real, my, my agent hat on or if I have my appraiser hat, I, I basically do the same thing. I look at the MLS. Uh, first and foremost, because what's happening outside of the MLS or for sale by owners in certain markets, you could analyze those, but those are a little difficult to be able to get good information on sometimes because you don't know the, 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 the ins and outs because you don't have access to the agents because there were none. So I, I, I really try to stick out in the neighborhood, look at what's happening on, a, an, on a, at least a weekly basis on the market, look at the MLS, look at, at the the uh, realist, which is a tax, um, which is a little, which is the tax version, at least here in Dade County, uh, in our MLS, uh, the tax version of that. Analyze those comparables that have sold to get the true information of each property from the tax roll perspective, and and analyze your neighborhood and what's happening. You can pull statistics from the MLS to tell you um, either by a specific boundary or by a certain price point, if that's where you're marketing yourself at, at a certain price point, and see what's happening on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, and see the trends on what's happening on a price per square foot. Are things increasing or decreasing? Are the numbers of sales increasing, decreasing? How are the days on market? Are those increasing also, or are they coming down? If you have your days on market are increasing, you know your market's flattening out. Or probably declining. If your if your days are short, your market's increasing. So the only way to really understand what's happening is is to analyze uh, analyze your market on a daily basis. And I think the MLS has has good enough. Um, uh, in, uh, at least it's a simple way to go in and look at all your data on a, on a weekly basis or a monthly basis and understand that market. So that's what I would suggest. Uh, do you ever do? Do you ever use RP? Do you ever use RPR? I have used RPR on, uh, to look at, at properties in neighborhoods that I don't really understand them too much because they give you a lot of market market information. So when I've appraised properties that in markets that I'm not fully from, really familiar with, I'll use it to get a little more of a background 
but I don't use it on a on a daily uh, you know on a daily basis on if I'm appraising or or trying to list a property within my market. So gotcha. I'm not as familiar with it. Okay, great, great. All right, well, listen, I, I Israel. Map, I, I map, I map is another one also. I do use, uh, I use IMAP and Realist as two of the, uh, uh, two of the, two of the sources for me. Yeah, I recommend. I uh, yeah, those three things: IMAP, Realist, and the MLS guys are the, they're, they're very good sources, and I think they do justice. Next, obviously, uh, going out into the marketplace and looking at other comparables in the field, literally getting out there and previewing, maybe doing some open houses, thing like that. So, so guys, listen, I gotta, we, we gotta wrap this up. Um, does anybody, if anybody's on the call, do you have any question that you want to ask Israel? Uh, let's open it up for one or two, maybe, if we have anything. If not, we'll wrap it up. But uh, anybody want to chime in with a question or something that you're dealing with? Yes or no? Yeah, Mike, this is Jim. Could I Jim, how are you? Good. Yeah, so Israel, is out here, I'm in Vegas, and, you know, out here a lot of the uh, houses will be on in the neighborhood with, say, quarter-acre lots, and this guy will have a half-acre or the full acre. You know, and you were sitting there with, you know, about 300 grand an acre for residential dirt out here. But how does that impacted because it, it doesn't seem like it can be a straight straight line uh, comparison that well you got you know you got an extra three quarters of an acre so it should be worth 250,000 more or whatever because it, it, well, the, the it, land it, already it, done it's not like you can break it up and subdivide it and build on it exactly you know what I mean well okay so uh, on the appraisal land there's two terms we use it's uh it's excess land and surplus land and it's important to know the distinction between the two and be able to talk to your clients about that. Excess land is something, it could be split up, it could be a, a part of a, of a parcel that could be split up and sold, where you take a, a half-acre lot and, and you're, because of the zoning allows you to have quarter-acre lots, where you can split that and have two lots now and sell them off. Surplus land, if they only allow you one home per acre, and just because you have a, a half-acre or a quarter-acre and the other one has an acre, you're still only allowed one property, one home. So basically, that extra land is surplus land. It's only land that you can use for your enjoyment. So the value of that land as surplus is, is much lower, typically, than the excess land because you, there's, no, there's no real return on, on, on that. Uh, there's no monetary return on the surplus land. It's just something that you can utilize. You have more space. So it's, again, if, a, if an acre is worth 300, uh, an acre, 300,000 an acre, that extra three-quarter acres is not three-quarters of 300. It's worth considerably less. And the only way to come up with what that number is is by, again, the, what we call the paired analysis, where you, you look at a sale of a home on an acre and one that, on a quarter acre and that are similar, more or less, and see what that difference in price is. And you'll probably notice that it's not as, as – it won't be as high as the um, – you know, as a property that can be sold and built out right between a quarter and a, and a full acre. So you're 100% right, right there. Uh, it's a much yeah, lower number, but you have to see, you have to break that down to a dollar, a dollar figure uh, based on the difference in land would be my answer. And, uh, and, and it's good to have your client understand the difference between surplus and, uh, and excess land. So. Oh, that's great. All right. Yeah, that's been an issue. It's an issue ongoing out here all the time. So. Well, thank you. Sure. Of course. Good luck.
Uh, I have a question. Sure. Um, so the question is for a multifamily. How do you assess the uh, rental values? How much rent you could possibly get? Um, and I'm asking this regarding the sustainability rule for, for example, FHA loans. Okay. Okay. So, you, all right. Let me try to understand. You're asking how how do you determine rental value or or value of a property based on the rent? Well, how would you get comps for rentals? I'm sorry. <laughs> how would you get rental? Well, finding rental comparables uh, in multifamily. Uh, um, well, I mean, there's there's basically two ways to go about that. You can either I don't, utilize the uh, a comparable that has closed that you have MLS on that has the property rented to tenants, and usually when they're offered for sale, they'll tell you how much each each unit is getting in rent, and and that's usually uh, that may or may not be accurate. Uh, as the way I did it to determine what the rent on the market should be in a, in a certain market, when I was appraising property, I would actually go out and do my own rental survey. I would knock on doors. Actually, I would knock on on a, if I if it was a duplex or a triplex or a fourplex, I would knock on the doors of uh, of a couple of the units and uh, and ask them, hi, you know, you just be friendly, say hello, it's like you're prospecting, and ask them, uh, you know, that you're doing a survey, you want to get an idea of what they're paying for rent and how big their unit is and how long they've been living there, and and, uh, and come up with your own numbers. Um, at the end of the day, uh, if you look at the MLS, a lot of times realtors like to give the, what they call pro forma, which is what the property should rent for in, in their eyes, but they're not actually getting that number. So that number that's in the MLS may not always be as, as uh, accurate. But if you go and knock on doors and talk to people in the neighborhood, again, being, a, being that market expert, then you're going to get a better idea of exactly what that two-bedroom could work rent for. Um, and and uh, and then you know as an appraiser we come up with values for mo for multifamily as long as they're two to four family uh, what we do what we call the uh, uh, it's the um, the uh, um, I just drew a blank on the on what we we do but basically we take the sale price of a comparable and what the property should be renting for if it's a duplex if you have two units the monthly rent for those two units divided by the sale price, you come up with a, with a factor, with a, a ratio. Uh, uh, and that ratio, you can apply that basically to the rent of your property and come up with, uh, with a sale price for yours. That's a little more, com that's a little more co complex. If you, if you need me to expand on it a little bit, you can you know, have Mike give you my number directly, and I can, I can explain that for you a little better on how that works. Thank you so much. Okay. Anybody else? No. Okay. Mike, you still there? <laughs> Maybe you can expound about it now because nobody else has any questions. Is, is anybody else? <laughs> no, all right. So, uh, all right. I got, I've got only a couple minutes here. I have to get back to my to uh, to a class. But but basically, like I said, if uh, tell me more specifically, are you looking? To, are you looking at a small income property, like two units or three units? A fourplex. A fourplex. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're trying to find the value of uh, what the rental value of the fourplex. The, only, the, 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 rental, the way to find that is determine, you know, what's the unit mix of your building, you know, and then go out, uh, do some research. Um, what's, well, you can look at it from the MLS 
two, what's what's available for rent in that market. And if there's not a lot in the MLS, go knock on doors. Identify other fourplexes or triplexes or even duplexes in the neighborhood. doesn't matter really the size because the, the, the rental rate is going to be the same for a two-bedroom, uh, two-bedroom, one-bath. If it's in a duplex or a fourplex, it will be roughly the same if the condition is the same. And then come up with your, um, you know, by making your talking, knocking on the doors, talking to the tenants, find out what the rents are. And then you can apply that to, uh, to your property. And if you're looking at, like I said, if you're looking at a, at a comparable sale, that gets a little, that's a little more complicated to come up with, um, uh, with, with, the, with the valuation. But you can apply the monthly rent, the gross monthly rent of, of, a, of a fourplex, add the monthly rents of the four units, okay, and then figure out uh, the factor between a comparable that has sold and what the rent should be for those units or what the actual rents were, you're going to get, you're going to get, um, I'm drawing a blank, it's the opposite of a, of a it's, it's, it's uh, what is the term? Um, so basically you're going to get, a, you're going to get a, a mul- I'm sorry, a multiplier. So it's going to be like uh, maybe 1.2, 1.3. It's the sale price divided by the gross monthly rent. And then that, when you look at that for several properties that have sold comparables, now you can take that, that multiplier and apply it to the rent of your property that, that you've come up with that your property should rent for, and that would help you come up with the value for your building, what it should, what it should sell for. So how do you read the multiplier quickly? Say that again? How do you reach the multiplier? What number do you divide by which number? It's the sale price. So, okay, to make it simple, you have a, you have a, you, uh, you have a comparable, uh, you look at a, a comparable, because you have to look at comparables for this. So if you have a comparable that's sold for 100000 and it's two one-bedroom units, and each rents for $500, okay, 500 and 500 is 1000 a month. If it's sold for 100000 100000 divided by 1000 is 100 So the gross rent multiplier for your property for that comparable is 100 Okay, you may find another one that sold for 125,000. The rents are combined rent is 1,200. So 125 divided by 1,200 to give you, you know, maybe 1.2 or 1.1. So if you look at several comparables and do that and and get that multiplier for each comparable, and then you figure out either which is the most comparable to your property or the average of the three or four that you've looked at. Now you can apply that multiplier to your gross monthly rent of what you've determined your units should rent for, and there you have the value for your property. Okay. When you get, if you get to something more complex, like, like after four units where it's, where it's commer- considered commercial, like a multifamily building, then there you're analyzing income and you're doing, um, you're analyzing income, you're coming up with cap rates, but that's more of a complicated formula. If it's two to four family, single family, that's the way appraising uh, that's the way appraisers do it. They determine a, a gross rent multiplier. Sale price divided for the comparables divided by the gross monthly rent that you have. And, and, that, and that multiplier, you can, you can apply that to your, your property. Okay? All right. I'm going to play with that now. Thank you so much. Okay. All right, man. Good luck. Good luck. All right, guys. I don't know who else is on the phone, but it was very nice. Uh, it, was, it was great to be on the call. And, um, and, and uh, any, any questions? You may have, feel free to ask Mike from my, 
My number, I'll be more than glad to help you out or answer any questions you may have. Okay. Israel, thanks Thank so much you. for your time today. You guys did a phenomenal job, guys. I'm going to send out the recording on this later. Israel, thanks so much. You were a blessing today and much, much appreciate your value that you bring to this. And, and guys, take, I hope you took notes. And if not, listen to the recording and take notes, as I've always told you. And this will be up at realprofitbuilders.com. You can listen to the recording later on today or tonight. And Israel, thank you, man. Really appreciate it. Thank really, you really so do. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Have yeah. a have a great afternoon. Take care. Bye-bye. Make it great. Okay, Bye-bye. talk to you soon. Bye bye.